This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. We have with us today Prayag Akbar. Welcome Prayag. Prayag has been a journalist um, in Outlook, as I recall. And where else? Uh, the Sunday Guardian and, and yes. Scroll. Scroll and now he's written his first book, which is called, now that's the question, <laughs> which, which really is, tells you a lot about the book. Is it Leela or is it Laila? It could be Leela is of course Hindu, Laila is Muslim, and so it is a deliberate choice to use a name like that, which is, I wouldn't say confusing, but it raises questions. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, I, I think one of the, that's really interesting that you brought this up because, uh, you know, one of the things that I want to point at is that we set these boundaries up. You know, we create these boundaries in our heads more than anything between people and between communities. And, uh, you know, associate one or the other, like Laila is a Muslim name, Leela is a Hindu name. I mean, of course that's true, but there's also, you know, there's, there are those fluid spaces and, you know, flu between, between these, you know, these boundaries aren't hard and fast and, you know, these enormous walls. There, there's something else between. There are pe people who exist in those spaces between and who thrive in those spaces. So, you know, I'm kind of playing with that, uh, that idea that, uh, you know, who is this person? What does she mean? Where does she stand? Does she fit into any category that you ascribe to her? You know, you sort of say that this is a category as a reader or as, you know, someone you meet. And uh, I have to uh, give full disclosure that I've known Prayag since he was a little kid. So I do know about his background and um, bits of how he grew up. Your mother's Christian, hmm. your father's Muslim. Hmm. Um, now, while you were growing up, you were obviously exposed to the play of this in society. So when you were in school, uh, you were obviously in a, what would be called a liberal secular school where children around you would also be coming from similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the first experiences that uh, one child told me when she went to say for Bangalore Law School, she told me that you have no idea how we surround ourselves with people who have the same beliefs mm. without realizing it. Because when she went there, she found that there was uh, a lot of um, extreme people with extreme positions, right. uh, Hindu fundamentalists, communists. Uh, so it was a shock for her to deal with this. Now, when you were growing up, did you feel this, this your mother's Christian, your father's Muslim, both from minorities? Did I feel, I mean... Uh, did you feel pressure? Did you feel, did people pass remarks? Did you, did it ever come up as an issue? I don't think it was, uh, you know, people passing remarks. I mean, of course you get like, you grow up in Delhi in a, whatever kind of school you go to, there's going to be jokes about being Muslim. You know, I was the only Muslim, I think there was the only Muslim in my school, you know. Uh, maybe for, there was a couple of kids in junior batches or something, but I don't really? think there, yeah, there weren't very many at all. I mean, I think that's a function of, a lot of things, Muslims tend, you know, it's privilege and there's not, not, there's not that many privileged Muslims in India. It's a, it's a relatively disprivileged community. And, um, and, you know, you hear things, you know, go to Pakistan, all that stuff, like, you know, when you're playing sports, whatever, hockey field, football field, all that stuff happens. But, um, I mean, I think I was definitely lucky. It, if you think back, when I think back to, you know, this is what I'm talking about, 
the late 90s when I was in school. Like, you know, talking about 97 to 2000. And I think back to things that used to bother me then about, you know, uh, as a Muslim young man. And uh, what bothered you? I mean, if someone says something like go to Pakistan, I mean, I still get it on Twitter like almost every day if I say something, you know, it's like people are still telling me to go to Pakistan. So that hasn't changed. But um, what was, you know, when I think back to that period, actually, um, there's, you know, this was also a time when I, 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 I did an interview with this uh, young man. I mean, he was my age, exactly my age. He had, uh, he'd spent 14 years in jail. This is a long time ago I wrote this piece and he was wrongly imprisoned. And this was the time when there were all those bomb blasts happening in Delhi in the, in the markets. You know, the cylinder bomb and, you know, that gas cylinder bomb and things like that. And Delhi police were just going around and arresting young Muslim men. You know, they, they had no clue who was doing this. And there were all these kind of wrongful arrests at the time. And so now these people are getting justice. You know, there's the, mm. now this. Uh, and so I think, I think back to my relative privilege. This was something that I experienced when I interviewed this guy. Uh, you know, it was that, I mean, we, if, if I hadn't been born with the privilege I had been born with, I would have, you know, it's quite, it would have been quite easy for Delhi police to pick me up, you know, like on the road, walking on the road. What was the difference between me and this man? And so, you know, just play, playground jibes are kind of like, you know, small, small fry or whatever. It's okay. I, it's something you can deal with. It's the bigger stuff that, you know, that I think has found its way into the book. You know, the, um, the, the sort of, uh, the real tensions between, you know, between and, uh, and sort of strictures on how to live and, you know, it, you know, injunctions about like all sorts of things, you know, like people, there is a kind of need now for people to really separate themselves from each other, I think, you know, there's, there's a kind of uh, push towards, uh, you know, t uh, towards clear, clearly demarcating and defining who you are, where you're from, what you are. Which I mean, has always been there, of course, but uh, you know that I think we seem to be moving away from that fluidity or hybridity or whatever you want to call it, you know, between these kind of identities. And there's a, I mean, actually, I always felt that like, even as a child, because people would keep asking me, you know, either what's your caste or what, what your, you know, what's your religion, and I never knew what to say because, I mean, I grew up in a, a atheistic household, I guess. There was no, we didn't really have much God uh, or belief in anything. So, uh, so I never knew what to say. I didn't. I didn't feel Muslim, and I didn't feel particularly Christian. And uh, so, yeah. But you know, people want to know what you. You know, this is a very common you question in India. Yeah. What are you? You know, like so. You know, you must be something. And even on government forms, like you know, there's this kind of constant need to identify you as something. And you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know. Well, you know, you've dealt with it throughout so in such a subtle manner. Um, I think if if it if the book was translated into what it really is, mm. if it was not so subtle, it would be banned. <laughs> you know, you've done it so cleverly right. in terms of layers, in terms of nothing is specific, no political party is mentioned, mm. but it's clear who you're talking about. Mm. The vigilante groups, you're clear it's clear who you're talking about, but you don't use any names. And what struck me was one thing what struck me, the first thing, was that it reminded me of Hunger Games. Okay. In many ways. Mm, mm. Uh, the districts, the... Mm. And, and it heightens the, heightens the reader's awareness, my awareness, mm. uh, how we do live in these pockets. Okay. And, and how alienated we are from, from the other. And I think so, of all the issues that you've dealt with, which is 
one uh, religion and the kind of vigilantism that's going on. One of the most important things, I think, which goes in through one of the many, uh, many threads in your book is the divide, the, the economic divide, the privileged and the underprivileged, and the relationship equation, mm. uh, particularly between Shalini and, Sapna. and her... Uh, Former maid, Sapna? Yeah, yeah, and Sapna. And at the end, how it plays through. And how, especially that scene that you put in, when she remembers how she screamed at her about the safety of of her child, mm. and I've seen that played so often, and I'm sure you have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, uh, you know, I don't want to say too much, but like, you know, I, I, a lot of my guilt about, you know, how I grew up, I mean, how I've treated, you know, it's it's something that we have this kind of idea in, in India that, uh, that, you know, how do we treat our servants? There's a kind of, it's a recurring theme, and you think, I treat my servants well. You know, like I have this, uh, if I have someone working in my house, I treat them with dignity and I treat them with this, which makes me a good person. Yeah, which makes me sit and eat with them. Right, which makes me a good person. You know, that and it's a kind of like, it gives us a kind of reassurance about this very terrible power dynamic that exists within our household. You know, where you have this kind of all, all you know, this these people are subservient in a very... Uh, real way, but, you know, we tell ourselves, oh, I treat them well, I, I don't beat them, or whatever it is, you know, and that gives you a sense of comfort, and that, that makes it okay in your head, you know, and I came to think about whether that's something we tell ourselves, whether it's a way of reassuring ourselves, and, you know, and the actual dynamic, would it be different, you know, would, would how, how, how are they viewing it, how do they, do they see that, you know, that, and, and, of course, I can't, I couldn't write it from the perspective of, uh, you know, of the, the servant, because I, 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 don't, I don't know that world and that mind, but I could write about my own guilt, you know, like at, sometimes shouting, you know, you have a, you're having a terrible day and you come into your house and, you know, you shout at your servant or for whatever reason, you know, and, uh, and I mean, I have memories of, you know, like doing that once in a while and like it, how much it bothered me and, you know, like it sort of like really seeped into me and, you know, I, and I would sit and I'd, I'd be writing about like, you know, social justice and at work and then coming home like behaving like an ass, you know. Mm. And it's had a sort of really, you know, when I was writing this book, I really wanted to be able to capture that. It was very difficult for me to do because, uh, you know, I, and that's, you know, I, I spent a long time writing this book because it was c kind of a tricky thing to, uh, to try and, you know, capture but not overdo. And, uh, yeah, this, the restraint and the uh, tightness of the book, it's so taut that is that part is very impressive thank you um i i but the other part that's surprising that you said you couldn't write it about it from the maid's point of view but you have used a female voice it's yes. a woman who's telling the story and that surprised me because um here's prayag akbar who Unknown to have a feminine side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, it'll surprise a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, um, have, you have written as a woman. Yeah, uh, it was difficult again, uh, and but you know, I, I've been asked this a couple of times, and I think that there is, you know, we we spend a lot of time thinking about what separates men and women, you know, what differentiates men and women. But there are certain things, of course, that unite us, you know, and the reactions and uh, the way we respond to situations, the way we think of our children. These are very base 
to you know these are base emotions and they're at the core of what it means to be a human and uh, I you know a thinking individual and I, I I was surprised constantly by you know by how much there is in common between men and women and how much you can write I mean it was a challenge of course I'm not going to say that it wasn't e that it was easy it wasn't easy at all but uh, you know I was when you think about like how you know, on some levels, we're, we're also the same. You know, we, of course, men and women are very different, but of course, there's many levels that we're the same, and that we have the same kind of uh, reactions. And and I have the advantage of having like a few very strong women in my life uh, who I can watch and observe and uh, you know learn from. And so I, you know, I I, I hope I managed to do it, like right in this woman's voice. But, but I was, what what I liked about the female voice was there was no artifice. There was no this false femininity. Right. It was to me as I read her a woman's voice. To me it is today's woman. A very strong woman. A very strong mother. A very strong wife. A very strong daughter. She was all of that unashamedly. And here we have feminists who say I don't want to be known as someone's wife or daughter or mother. I want to be known as myself. And I've never understood that because I'm happy being Part in those identities, yeah, yeah. Yes, but in this voice, what was remarkable, what I found it, it was so clean that, as you said, that there was no false uh, proving that I am a woman mm -hmm, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she was just looking for what she needed to find to complete her wholeness of what she'd lost. I mean, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. But I, I totally identified with that because if you have that kind of a loss, a mother cannot think. She cannot breathe, she cannot do anything, and you captured that amazingly. Thank you so much. Also, uh, one sees glimpses, uh, as I was reading, glimpses of bits of news, images mm -hmm. that would come to me as I was reading it. And, uh, for example, this, I don't want to spoil it for people, but uh, this is when this peon is being beaten up mm, by the repeaters mm, 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 mm. and they're asking where are your employers and he's so when the peon emerged again he was bundled out onto the path he took a few heavy steps to steady himself halfway down the mud track now he hunkered his shoulders in entreaty hands joined in front of his face terror in his yellow eyes in his crooked knees in the unheard babble incessant on his lips when he found his voice, it quivered with every word. Sirs, sirs, please, he said. So that brings up that image from Gujarat. The yellow eyes, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, there's, there's so much that is from the headlines in the book. I mean, not from the, you know, there's, I mean, it, the, the book is kind of many years of, you know, of working in this sphere. Uh, Working, in, you know, in journalism and uh, things that have bothered me, things that have uh, really, you know, um, they kind of like they seep into you. That that image that we're, that you're talking about of the man with his hands folded, you know, I remember seeing that when I was in college. This is 2002. I was in college in America at the time, and you know, it was the cover of Time magazine, I think, right? Uh, it was somewhere. It was the photo was uh, I saw it somewhere. I think on a website and. I mean, I couldn't stop staring at it because, you know, it was such a powerful image and I couldn't stop staring at it and it just always stayed with me, that photo and that photograph. And then when I was writing this, you know, when I was writing this scene, there was something, you know, it just seemed to me 
that, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of went back to that image, you know. I think, and so it's really, it's, it's quite cool that you actually like identified it so There were so many, I wish I'd marked them. And yeah. I actually shouldn't bring them up because for the reader it should come naturally. Mm. So if I point out each one, it will yeah. ruin the read. Yeah. So I don't want to do that, but I found it throughout the book because there was so much. And when you're reading it, you know, I'm in this. Mm. I've, we're living this. We, you know, you, and as you, you started writing this book quite a long time ago, yeah. Prayag, when is it, five years or something? Four or five years ago. Four or yeah. five years. And um, so much has developed through, while you were writing it in the last five years, that uh, the kind of controls that you're writing about, which have now developed in the last year, like what you eat, what you drink, where mm. you drink. Yeah, uh, I mean, where you party now? Goa has a party law that you yeah, can't party yeah. after ten o'clock. Yeah. Uh, we seem to be, and the climate seems to be getting worse and worse. And like, sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, catching up with my imagination. I don't know what's going. You know, it's like it's it's so worrying that our reality is sort of like shaping into this dystopian kind of uh, future that I've written about. Yeah, this but, is what yeah, I'm saying that you but, wrote about it before. All this has happened, and it's happening, and worse. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't, so, you know, one of the things that I, you asked me earlier about ideology and, you know, political parties, which, you know, without naming political parties or without naming ideology, I've identified certain things. And I think for me, when I was writing the book, it was, you know, it wasn't about one political party or one, uh, you know, one moment in time. It was more about the kind of more long lasting kind of impacts that this kind of thinking or this kind of vigilante action, you know, that I mean, vigilante justice has been a part of, you know, it's been legitimate political action in India for the longest time. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not a new phenomenon. We had whenever you wanted. Yeah, I mean, was it? That wanted, was had this kind of mob kind of mentality. No, even partition has this, you know, I mean, there was a lot going on in partition. But like, I'm talking about in a very, even at a very local level, if someone's angry about something, if someone's, you know, it happened to a scroll reporter, I remember, just, you know, while I was there, this woman was attacked in Chhattisgarh, you know. And it's so sad that, uh, you know, this kind of mob shows up at our house and obviously these things are filtered into my writing because uh, my writing in this book because you know these things mattered a lot to me I was like is this now how we're going to go about approaching you know getting kind of justice getting kind of there's no because it, there's no faith in the system there's no faith in public institutions to deliver justice so you're like okay I will just go you know there's I mean why do we have like these say the Gaurakshaks okay they, why do we why, why do they feel the need to go out and stop trucks and beat up and maim and murder. They've, I mean, of course, there's all sorts of things, or there's all sorts of thinkings going on, but on one level, they're also saying that the state will not stop this trade. So we will go out and claim justice for ourselves. And what they see is justice. You know, we will go out and protect, and we'll perform this act of protection or whatever it is. And because there's no, no faith that the government or the state machinery will actually stop this thing, this trade. And so, so you know this vigilante, this idea of this mob, this vigilante mobs. This it just shows that there's actually no. I mean, it's a kind of it's it's an indictment of our system, of our police, of our courts, of our governments. You know that there's people don't have. There's how little faith people have in this, and of course there's all sorts of things that you know. There's a, there are localized politicians who are making a lot of hay out of this. You know, like they they sort of like they they use this as a platform to become big politicians and all of that, but. You know, on one level, I think that you know the mob is a real indictment of 
our political culture, like how things have gone in our democracy over the last 70 years. It would have been interesting also, like you've gotten into, sort of sliced a lot of characters' brains while writing um, certainly Sapna's and, you know, Shalini's and Riz and... But I would have also liked to have seen a little bit of slicing of one of the repeaters. Mm. A little of, you know, what motivates them? Mm. What makes a perfectly ordinary man like what Hannah Arendt wrote about, mm. the banality of evil, mm, yeah. that a person who's a very good neighbor, sweet man, helping you to teach your kid to ride a bike, and suddenly, and it happened in Kashmir, yeah. to neighbors, yeah. that kids who were coming and playing table tennis in their house every evening, suddenly came with guns to kill them. So what I would have been interested to see, to understand that what turns the, the, uh, the uh, very ordinary man or woman into someone who's suddenly when there's a mob, it's okay to do these heinous, horrible things. So it's what turns. It's it's something that you did not explore in your book. I mean that I don't fully understand. You know, There's so it's it's hard to write about something unless you understand it properly. And I I, I don't fully understand that. You know that that kind of turn that happens to people and. Uh, the impunity they suddenly feel in a crowd, you know, this, that I can do anything and not only do the law, does the law not matter, but my own moral sense doesn't matter anymore. You know, you, you kind of like divorce yourself from any kind of thinking or rationality and you're like, let's just go out and burn or kill or whatever it is, you know, rape, whatever it is. And um, I mean, it's something that I don't, and, and I mean, it was important for me also to stay in Shalini's voice. I wanted, to, this is Shalini's story, you know, it's the search for her daughter and it's, her story, I didn't, at no point did I, you know, Shalini can't understand it. She's, she's a victim of it and she can't understand it at all. So this is why, you know, there's a kind of... Uh, but you know this, I don't know, but the first thing that came to my mind was a story about those girls who were taken from Assam and taken to this uh, place... Uh, the school. Yes. Yeah, so let story. Yeah, okay. But it is, you know... Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a, a very reality. It's a reality. So it's not fiction, and that's what's the most scary part about your book. Because when I finished reading it, I said, "I'm leaving this country. I can't live here. Anything can happen." And then Imagine you read about it. what's happening in America, which is just as bad, if not worse. So there's no place that we are safe. Uh, I think human beings have been probably we are. I've never been as vulnerable as we are now, because all over the world. Um, it seems that mobs and uh, vigilantism is okay. You know, someone said something very interesting to me the other day. Um, he was, he said that you know why why do we have this assumption that you know in the in the early twenties and thirties and forties you know when they were fighting against fascism when they were fighting against you know when the the Spanish civil uh, you know the, yeah. the civil war in Spain you know there was they were fighting for ideals. They were, they were connecting all over the world and coming together. It's such a beautiful moment in our history that you know, they were coming and fighting for, against fascism, against, you know, for egalitarianism, for equality. And, or uh, when we fought for our independence. Yeah, when we fought for independence. You know, the, so why do we assume that, you know, why, why is our generation so complacent that we feel that we don't need to fight? that we don't need to struggle against these forces, that we don't need to, you know, there's, I think there's, there's an assumption that we're heading on a path of progress, that we're heading towards enlightenment, you know, we're getting better and better and better, but 
I mean, history show. I mean, the con contemporary world is showing us that there, there is. You know, it seems to be more cyclical. That we go, we have moments of. You know, I mean, think of, it's like Bush, Obama, Trump. You know, it's like if you go, you go from um, a liberal moment to a very conservative moment to another liberal moment, and maybe these are swings. Maybe this is, or maybe this is, is reminding us that we have to constantly struggle and fight for what we believe in, and. Uh, you know, never, never let these forces defeat us. I think. So I think what people of um, your generation actually don't realize is that, um, although it might be that it appears that we fought back on many issues. Mm. Uh, I know. I remember when Rajiv Gandhi was bringing out the defamation law, which would have really clamped down on the press. All the senior editors, Arun Shori, Arun Puri, uh, you know, your father, everybody were out on the streets uh, protesting at India Gate. And it was, you know, I mean, an idealistic thing to how do. How lovely is that? But, but the other part is that when the emergency was going on, uh, which is before you were born, yeah. uh, people seem to imagine that there were you know, army and, and police on the streets and putting everybody in line and whacking people. It wasn't. It was like exactly as it is today. Mm. The streets were calm. Mm. Everything was normal. You know, as you've heard, trains were on time, buses were on time, corruption was down, nobody had the guts to take, ask for money. Uh, the lower middle class was happier because they didn't have to bribe for the most basic right. necessities. Right. And um, a handful of people protested politicians and journalists, just a handful. And now it seems like, you know, the whole nation was fighting back. The whole nation was not fighting back. The whole nation was supporting Indira Gandhi. And we supported quiet. her fascism. I mean, we don't even view that period as, as what it was, like this fascist That's interlude. what scares yeah. me, that when we, we, the majority of Indians, 90% of Indians, were sitting at home doing their jobs, coming back home, going out to movies, doing their normal lives, going right. to picnics on Sundays. Nothing made any difference to them, just for the few people, the opposition leaders who were arrested, and few journalists who fought and back. students who are all, like, now big politicians. Yeah, now are. it's yeah. considered that, you know, these people fought back, but... Don't forget that the fact is that 90% of Indians did not. They did not Nobody care. Bothered. Nobody bothered. And they that have the banality is, of... Uh, that's what. Uh, that today, when, some, when, something, when somebody is slapped down, hmm. who protests? Even in the UPA, when this happened with... When they were closing down websites and closing down yeah. Twitter handles, who protested? There was, I mean, I, I think that there was an online kind of reaction, I remember, and people made a lot of fun of Kapil Sibyl, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, but, but that uh, was, and you know, yeah. finally they had to remove Section 66A, but there are enough laws to get people anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no sort of, the state has its, has its ways of getting what it wants, you know, It'll, uh, but... Uh, do you, but do you think that a book like this, when you, when you write it, mm. what kind of impact do you expect it to have? Do you think that it could alert people, change people? Is that overly optimistic? I think that's, I, I, I mean, I doubt I could, you can't even change someone's mind during an argument, you know, like it's very hard to change someone else's mind. But I think it can, I think art and fiction, especially because I, I don't know much about other kinds of art, but uh, can stand as a signpost, you know, it can stand as something as, you know, it's a, it's a kind of, 
a reminder of you know the way things can go or the way things were you know uh, and uh, it it's important in that sense you know you can, you can you can you can you can watch something you admire greatly like i mean i really admire the kind of values that india was built with you know that that we're supposed to stand for and i can and you know in a sense this is not about i mean it's been a kind of very long erosion of those values you know it's not this is this is not a very content this is not a you know this is not something of the last 10 years this is something that has been going on for a while how communities are self enclosing i mean you know you can't i think that's a very important theme in the book how you know everyone is retreating behind these walls how do we live in a city like delhi in a city like bombay i mean some of the scenes that have really shocked people like you know about uh you know about how shalini is sort of negotiating these outroads as i've called them in the book um you know for me all of that was directly influenced by growing up in delhi and you know i i i remember when i used to drive around as a child like uh, you know going around the city and i used to think i used to wonder about how you know when when people aren't dressed in a upper sort of upper middle class or upper class way then when they walk into one of the gated things gated uh, you know the gated communities or colonies uh the guards just don't let them in unless they have a specific purpose in that place this happened to this lady called lavleen sharma okay you know who uh out of style wears uh, bagriyani skirts mm. with the backless choli and chunni and bangles from here nice. to here and she looks like a rajasthani right. and they stopped her at the hyatt hotel and wouldn't let her in and they thought that yeah, yeah. so this is i mean our five stars so of course you know like they're, they're terrible but um I mean that that is sort of like that's not even objectionable anymore because you know they they make that that class approximation very fast you know they taught they train they train their staff to do that and reject people that's that's okay but I'm I'm I was thinking about like you know like say any colony maharani bag whatever you know like the gates are there these are public roads these are thoroughfares they're supposed to be thoroughfares they're paid for by the by the government uh but you know we we've actually colonized them we've actually put up gates and created our little colonies and we don't let people in you know i mean we could talk much more about this but uh you know there's there's so much there, there are there's that sort of uh that drive towards enclosing is basically also you know it has so much to do with our distaste for what's outside you know that we we see the outside as a place of decay as a place of uh without a community you know as as is public sort of like you know what what the difference between public and private here is so sharp people are so obsessed with keeping their homes clean and keeping their you know take off your shoes when you enter do this do that but the outside is like this kind of lawless like you know free for all do whatever you want over there because it has nothing to do with me what does that say about our society does that seem like we're living in an actual society or is this a fractured you know divided place that's what i wanted to you know write about in the book is i love that scene when uh shalini is walking with her mother as a child and they're walking through this really smelly area mm-hmm. and shalini covers her nose. her nose and her mother says don't do that it's insulting mm-hmm. i mean it's it's uh, really an eye opener that you know we do these things not realizing uh how hurtful it is that there are people who live there yeah and uh, and and live in that kind of smell and for them they stop smelling it and yeah completely and and become immune to it and what you're describing is any city in india in fact where these kind of enclaves of you know upper middle class middle class 
lower middle class, still clean, and then you go into the really unlivable areas and how people who work in homes such as that, especially in places like Mumbai, and that is so more stark than sanitized Delhi because as we know, Delhi has been sanitized as a showpiece, as the capital. Correct. But when you're in other cities like in Mumbai, the, the reality of the extreme differences of poverty are right in your face every single day. Do you think living in Mumbai also brought it more home to you than... Oh yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, a lot of the, you know, the urban decay that I write about is very much influenced by my years in Bombay because, I mean, when I moved to Bombay, I was, uh, you know, I just sort of had the kernel of this idea, you know, I just I had like a small part of this idea and nothing really fleshed out and I was working at Sunday Guardian at the time and you know I was sort of doing this on the side uh, at nights or whatever or whatever time I could make for it and um, it was the you know when I when I sort of I was actually quite shocked by the disparity that you see in Bombay and it's it's surprising because you know I've grown up in India I spent all my time in India I don't know why I would be so shocked by that I knew this existed but you know there's it right down the road from where I was there was a little uh, you know where I lived in first in car there was this kind of there was this road with these nice buildings and on the other side of this very narrow road are these I mean the kind of like lovely little shanties you know it's a shanty a lovely little Jhopris, uh, I guess you'd call them, and uh, you know, I, it's when you when you sort of walking past that road, you always look inside, and I was always struck. And you see these decorations. Yeah, it's beautiful. It I mean, is like, unbelievable. And the little plastic flowers, yeah. a little lamp done in a particular way around a picture. The decorations when you peep in. The pride, you know, like, it's, a, yeah. it's spotless, always spotless. You know, or like the, the the pride they take in their homes, and we we. You know, we're dismissive of it, and we see them. You know, we only see the slum. We don't see what actually is inside that. You know, the lives and all of that. And and the, that again, the you know, the disparity across this very narrow road, this kind of very different lifestyles again was shocking to me. And you know, then and then there was, and then there's the you know the the trash that you see all over Bombay. You know, it, sometimes it was with the, the house I lived in. You could look, there was a trash dump right next to it, and you could see, you know, like it really felt sometimes when I was sitting and writing, it really felt sometimes that there was, you know, that you're being slowly submerged. You know, I would look out of my window and like you'd see this dump truck come in and dump all this truck, uh, dump all this trash for the day that they've collected from all over Bandra or whatever, and they dump it in this little area. And, I'd and then see, people would go through and scavenge. Yeah, and then you see the scavengers. But like I'd see it and like it would really, you know, it really felt like it was like encroaching, you know, like it was like, piling up against my wall almost it wasn't like that that close or anything but like I could feel it and see it and it would uh, you know it, it, it does feel sometimes like it's kind of like you're being submerged in a city like Bombay by because you know again there's no one has no one is no one bothers you know no everyone is willing to live in like that and everyone is willing to no one is making taking a strong stance with the BMC no one's taking a strong you know like people like TK has been there, they've been dumping there for years, so like, we'll just... You get a blind eye to Yeah, it. you know, you get you become inured, you just... Your come, own you know. problems, actually, yeah. survival problems in India, for personally for each person, are so huge that, you know, to take out time to do a civic, take care, you know, put your time into civic issues is, is difficult yeah, for a lot of people, because yeah. you're just doing your own survival. Say, for example, in my generation, when we were young, in college and just graduating from college, Delhi and its surroundings, we had the same kind of stark poverty within, around us, that every colony, for example, had slums next to it. 
and as very recently even in Nizamuddin for example you saw all those slums which keep repeatedly getting cleaned up and all that but we saw it all the time and you know what it did Prayag it actually triggered off middle class upper middle class kids to it, it motivated hmm. uh, young people to work towards alleviating that kind of thing so the kind of uh, the leaders who still stuck to it unlike say we who did it as a passing phase worked in villages and then came back the people like the ones who started at that time was aruna roy bankar roy right. you know srilata swaminathan brinda uh, karat subhashni ali maduja all these people um, uh, started at that time because living around that kind of stark poverty motivated hmm. them uh, to to go and do to make it make it um, do something to make it change and today i see that today's generation is not there they are not huh what I, do you every, think yeah I, i agree with you completely and i think that it has to do with being able to see and you know this out of sight out of mind is a cliche but it's it's it seems to be completely true because the more you cut yourself off the more you can divorce yourself from that uh you know that that worry they know that they don't seem part of your society because i used to think this about delhi all the time that you know when i w- went to bombay first and i was i went and met nareesh fernandez uh, you know the editor of scroll and we were chatting and i remember telling him i was like you know i he asked me how do you like bombay everyone asks you that do you like bombay or delhi or the same i was like i really like bombay because you know you you go out on the street and you like you actually you know you you you're part of a community you feel part of like you're part of life urban life in that way you know that where you, you you know or your neighbors problems are your problems you know that's the whoever's living it doesn't matter you know how poor or rich or whatever they are but if you know there's like a small silly thing like coconuts falling from trees you know like they have this they have this now in the first building i lived in and it it's it affected these like small houses on the on the side of the of the building but you know it was both of our problems you know like it was the sort of upper class and the uh, lower class uh, the, yeah, both communities faced this problem because of this these coconuts falling from these trees and i it really made me think that in delhi you n- almost never have that kind of problem you know that cutting across social uh, classes and because you we built these cocoons for ourselves where you know i used to i used to leave my house i leave my house get into my car and my driveway drive to work you know there's a parking lot at work you see, you get into the parking lot you walk up you know like i literally was not on a public road i did not have to walk on a public road until i, I reached office and then i would uh, sit in office all day and sit in my car and come home you know that was the, that's your kind of and the, the, it's it, it just felt suddenly it occurred to me that it was like a cocoon after cocoon after cocoon and i was just i just managed to insulate myself from so many social realities of india and bombay i felt through me together with a lot more people from a lot more disparate backgrounds but i remember when i told him to race this he was like oh bomb <laughs> you're crazy because bombay was much better it was much more like this 20 years ago now it's awful you know like now i mean he felt bombay has become much worse but for me bombay was so much better than delhi but and also what you're saying about sorry to yeah, interrupt please, but please. what you were saying about um, you know how it motivates people to work bombay has that big uh you know this community of like even people like uh you know social work you know, the jesuit kind of the uh uh thing like you know the other zaviarites and all who went out into the field like i'm you know, even like kobad gandhi and all ended up in this thing but they all came from uh you know wanting to go out and help like 
help people. And you still find that, I think, amongst the young people. This Jerry Pinto's just written a book called Murder in Mahim, uh, which has this character, young, a young man who's around 20 or 21, who goes out into, you know, who, go, who keeps going out in the field. He's a social, you know, he's a, he's a do-gooder in that sense, a very classic do-gooder. And I was, I, when I was reading it, I was wondering if, you know, do these people still exist? Like, uh, is there someone like this now, today? You know, like, are, are there 21-year-olds who are so motivated by what's going on in... I don't know. I literally don't know. But I was, I was surprised to come across this character in Jerry's book. You know, in, very, in this book this came that's out. That's what I was saying, because in our generation... Uh, but apparently the, in Bombay, they still are. I mean, that I think, age was where everybody was mm. involved in some kind of work like that, which is now today called NGO work. We didn't right, even have a name right. at that time. Yeah. We just did it. We just, it was called going to the villages. Right. <laughs> and uh, now one decries it that, you know, the, that kind of trigger, the motivations are not there that much. And uh, it's more about me, myself. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to run down this generation because I love this generation. They're doing wonderful, creative things and doing great work. But this element is missing. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's, again, because of something that I've tried to show in the book, how easy it is to, like, you know, how, to cut yourself off from the problem. Like, a lot of Shalini's problems in the book come from her losing her network. You know, in India, we have this kind of assumption that... Uh, the class you're born in, the social class you're born in, is stand immutable. By you. Yeah, yeah, will stand by you. It will be a safety network, whether it's a, you know, it's a, it's a caste network or a family background or a school network or whatever it is. Something will. I have some kind of safety net that is going to keep me, even if I'm not like living the luxury I used to live in. Like I will remain within that same sort of privilege, but that is not, you know, it's not always the case. I mean, I, I, I still think that it is the case in India that you will be saved from abject poverty. Like, in the West, if you're not, if you're not a successful man, if you're not, you know, if you don't, if you aren't able to you hold down a job, street. if you're not able to hold down a job, you can go, you know, you can study at Harvard and then be on the street or be homeless. But I feel like that's a much bigger thing in India for that kind of... No, but there is this element in India which does come out in your book that when she goes to meet her friend, mm -hmm. um, is unable to uh, and and mm. she, and the distancing that takes place that listen uh, I can't be seen with you mm. I can't my husband doesn't want me to meet you don't ever call me again and that element I have experienced I mean like that's Delhi right through, I mean yeah, that, yeah. if you've been through a rough time where for any given reason and and for example when I was um, charged with the contempt of court case Correct. by the Supreme Court I would arrive at a party and it was looked like I had a disease it was like shk. Like well, nobody wanted shocking. to stand next to me in case a judge or somebody saw them <laughs> with me, and it and was went really after them. and and yeah, and so it was really funny that whenever you're in and in other instance, instances in our lives uh, where you see that you're you know you're in trouble, and of course there's your core group of friends who will be with you, but you're lucky if that happens. But the majority, most people have to face the fact that it's a just. You know, drop Fades cold. Yeah. We don't want to know you. We don't. Know, please don't call me because if you're seen with me, I'm in trouble. And that's that's what you show is a reality that happens. I mean, I think I've seen it in Delhi, as you say. You know, you see these people. Uh, you know, who people who you think are your friends, or I'm not talking about myself, but I've seen yeah. like you know with. Uh, Amongst you know my parents, friends. It's the best eye opener. Yeah, it really is. You know, you, and it's 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 human nature also. I think you know that uh, that. I don't want to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, human nature is to stand by your friend. 
I mean, yeah, so of course, like, as you say, the core group, but I think it's human nature not, you know, like, it all depends on the relationship. And if people have a functional relationship with, you know, with you, then that, that is how they'll, you know, as soon as the function is lost, they're like... Yeah, that's And true. if they have, like, a deep and emotional relationship with you, like, you know, like I have with my, say, school friends, I, I, you know, there's, there, are, there are different degrees of relationships. And um, this page where you talk about where Dr. Ayer is with Shalini and uh, this I found the most interesting when he says to her uh, a pearl from the head of an elephant he's talking about and she says which elephant makes pearls I asked one in a million that's what makes this stone very rare I have read your charts this is the solution find the stone and you will find once you will once again find happiness I stopped dead turned to him how can I I shouted anger clouding my brain brain spilling out all of this what's happening happened to me you want me to be like you all this is because people believed in ancient stories this is what I wanted to stay say Instead, I kept quiet, didn't break stride. We walked in silence, each breath going down like a hot sandals crunching in the brittle topsoil. When I was calm, I said, look what they did to me, doctor. How can I believe such things? Now, this is the paragraph I want to ask you about. It wasn't believers who did this to you, Shalini, he said. He nodded slowly, voice soft. Someone with true belief is gentle, pious. Those women, those men were not believers. They were simply a consequence of that moment. Once in a while, even the gentlest hand must ball into a fist. This is what they were. They were the fist. Now, this is what I think Hannah Arendt was also talking about. Mm. I think this was the most devastating para for me to read, that, that no matter what happens, you do not know when the gentle hand can become a fist and on anyone. Right. So we are right in living in this fear. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, for me that was, it was actually, I don't, I don't, you know, it was actually what someone told me this. Someone said this to me once. You know, when, you, when we were talking, I think about uh, the 92 riots, you know, and someone was kind of uh, justifying this to me. I, I remember being, I mean, I must have been 16 or 17 or something, and, you know, talking about what happened in 92. and. Uh, we were, you know, and the demolition and all of that, you know, and people were, I mean, again, you're finding that now. There was, there were a few years where people were at least like, you know, critical of the uh, demolition of the Babri Masjid, but now it's, you know, it's back to like, the, it's, it's okay to va valorize it and, you know, to make this sort of narrative around it as this reclaiming, you know, reclaiming the space. And um, I, that did, you know, that did affect me a lot because I was quite young. I must have been ten years old, ninety-two. I was ten years old, and I was. I remember being really affected by it because, you know, you, you when you grow up as a Muslim, you're conscious of that identity. I think more. Than, I, I never had any like religious upbringing, but I was conscious of that identity all the time. And you know, you, it does. It's sad, but like you know, it, it personalizes the violence. You know, the, if when you feel that oh, this is you know, those are the same people as me actually, and. I'm I'm living very safely in my school and you know going to school and all of that. But there were boys my age who were you know under direct threat. And of course it was you know both Hindus and Muslims were under threat. But at that time, but you know it it did personalize the violence. The, the and 
and it made me think a lot and later you know, many years later or 2002 you know many years later you think about the violence in Omazafar Nagar you know right now and you think about the violence and you think about this what what turns you know what turns people in that way you know and uh, it's always it seems to be stoked by a kind of politicization you know that people people stoke it and how does that you know how does that hand turn into a fist how does a sort of uh, open hand turn into a fist is by you know it's, it's slowly being clenched someone is you know clenching it someone is actually tightening a screw somewhere in people's brains like oh this is happening this is happening this is, you know like these people are taking over this or you know our, our land there's moths all over whatever it is you know whatever the or our girls are under threat you know it's, I mean this is a big theme in the book you know this idea that women hold your honor you know the it's it's actually male honor and male pride that is invested in a woman's body you know it's like and so you have this you know someone is actually tightening that screw over time and talking about you know the, the like that that taka, i'm forgetting the name of the town now but you know that town in up that was supposed all the hindus were supposed to have left kairana i think it was called and you know the, all the all of the all the uh, hindus you know hindu exodus or whatever it was and that was a term given and um you know so someone was tightening that screw or or when you talk about uh, the you know the dioband you know that that kind of narrative around dioband before the election you know where that uh, Sanjeev Singh Balwan was going on and saying these things and you know you can you're constantly telling the people look what's going on look what's going on and then finally there's this explosion of violence you know there's this the the hand is no longer a hand it's a fist and I, but you're just as devastating in terms of turning a critical eye on the fundamental muslim also such as uh, Riz's brother Nas and what he does and how uh, you know narrow he is so it's really your your writing is not uh, against one or the other i mean or the I, other against you know it's yeah. it's it's not it's just basically a an exposure of thinking in a particular way i mean i'm 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 very bothered by fundamentalism within islam you know it's it's, it's shocking where it's heading i mean the whole world is suffering and it, it, on a personal level, you know, you see it like in in the the village my my father's from. You know, when I used to go there as a child, there were no no women used to wear burqas there. But now I see the burqas. You know, it's, really? yeah, I mean, it is. There has been this kind of pushing. You know, communities tend to fundamentalize at the same time. You know, it's like they go. They seem to go hand in hand. You know, as as the right wing sort of accelerates in one community it accelerates in the second community because it's a response or you know who's coming first who knows but whatever it is it you know it seems to be um it is, I, I think the book is very much it's not against you know religion or anything like that but it's against fundamentalism you know this idea that my way is the right way and you know that anything else is so abhorrent that it must be extinguished you know that is that is really at the core of the book that uh, you know anything that is not the way I see the world has to be, you know, re removed from sight, or you know, it has to be pushed away or exiled, and you know, it's such a horrifying way to view the world that I know exactly, you know, I, I have the entirety of all knowledge, you know, and I, I know how the world should live, and you know, it's it's it's, and again, it's religion that seems to give people that arrogance, you know, if people seem to invest so much faith. You know, in in an institution like religion, that they're willing to do anything for it. You know, there's no argument uh, when somebody like the character Nas 
speaks about the piety of wearing a burqa, you know, mm. functioning as a good Muslim woman. Mm. There's no argument when somebody talks like that. Mm. How do you argue? You can't argue. It's just a diktat yeah. that this is the right way. Yeah. And that's it. So I think... Um, exactly. You know, it's, a, uh, it's not something that you can even... Uh, talk people out of. I think this, and what is happening is that it's, it's becoming such a cloud, the pall. In fact, reading your book was, I got the same feeling as when I read Manchester by the Sea, mm. which is a book by the, of mourning, an undercurrent of mourning throughout, without it being spelt out. And it was like a pall on my head when I read Manchester by the Sea. And this was like a cloud a pall on my head, like, oh gosh, this is my country, this is my country. So in one way, I'm glad I got exposed to what was happening in America also, realizing it's not my country alone, mm. it's the world. And um, we have to, f actually, I felt that we have to forget not to fight back. Yeah, forget, yeah I mean, it's, I think that, I hope that, you know, that if anything that this book like reminds people that, I mean, I think one of the things that I really, wanted to show was Shalini's resilience, you know, in the face of these enormous, tremendous injustices that, uh, that she has, she's, has to face, uh, you know, these violences inflicted upon her, she's able to maintain, you know, that resilience and that, that spirit that I will find my daughter, you know, that it's, it's, that's what I wanted to write about, you know, and I think, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but for me, it seemed to me that the mother and the daughter relationship was something that, that, that could survive, you know, that, that bond that could survive any other, you know, any force that is thrown at them, there would, there would be something there that, you know, that I don't know if a man would react in the same way, you know, because there's so much ego. And that, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't want to make generalizations on gender because I don't know enough about it. But, you know, it's, for me, it was, I saw something there that, you know, this, this woman, I could show this woman who has this like tremendous resilience and is able to withstand all these things and is sustained by the love of her daughter, you know. Well, there have been instances in America in real life where um, uh, fathers who've lost their daughters to say cults or mm. uh, kidnappings or whatever, they fought just as hard to get their daughters yeah. back. No, that's what I, I think in this case, I totally identified with her that she couldn't breathe until she got her daughter back. Yeah. And that, that is something that um, one sees in, in mothers all around us, you know. I mean, I think that's a commonality, that women have that strength, that that is the most important yeah. thing. So I guess you're missing out <laughs> as, a, as a man, yeah. that you won't experience that because a father-daughter or father-son relationship is, it's I different, think, different. Yeah? yeah, it's different yes. in many ways. I mean, and. Yeah, I, I really think so, you know, and I'm envious. And I, I, I was telling my sister this. Of course, my sister, the first thing she said to me was, oh, but, you know, you know, our mother's much closer to you. And I was like, no, that's, you know, like, I, I guess each each sibling sees it differently, you know. But That's true. Yeah, but for me, it was, uh, you know, I, even if the, my mother and sister, they are pretty, they are very close, but, like, you know, the, there's something that they understand each other on a level that I feel like I don't understand my mother. You know, like they, they seem to have a kind of communication between them that supersedes um, uh, most human relationships, you know, that that is above uh, most human relationships. And I certainly don't see that with sons and fathers. And, I, you know, with sons and mothers have a different kind of relationship, but not that relationship. So it's... I mean, and it's, in India, or maybe other places also, but in India, remarkably, I've noticed that when young men become successful, 
the fathers who've been successful previously and are sort of on the retiring resent it, resent the son. They get a little, you know, annoyed that he's now becoming bigger than me. And in fact, Sudhir Kakkar has written about that. Well, I, I think it's a big thing in psychoanalysis, right? Yes. This, this idea of the Edible yes. conflict. And, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it happens on both ends because for the son growing up, it's complicated because, you know, you want to be successful and you have to... Yeah. So you have a mother who's a psychotherapist. Were She's you a psychoanalyst. psychoanalyst. Yeah. Did it irk you that she was analyzing you all the time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I she's such a gentle soul, actually. I don't know if she was, I hope she wasn't analyzing me all the time, but there was, there was a bit of analysis there, I remember. You know, I, it, it's, it's funny, but like, I think a lot of that, it, it inspired me to think a lot about people, and she was, she was fantastic support during the writing of this book, because, you know, she, she's really, because I think she deals in, with people on such a deep level, you know, you have to constantly, look at people and ask them to go deeper you know like i think that's a part of analysis to to search further within yourself for you know for the answer because everything's within you you know what you what is bothering you it's all inside you and you have to like unlock 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 so um so it helped me when i was writing this because you know she and she would prod me like why don't you you know like there there, there can be something more in in this interaction you know that we can find the human core you know and uh, that, I mean, it really, I think it really, really benefited the book and my writing, like it really helped me. And your father, what did he say? He likes it, he likes it very much. Thank you very much, Prayag. Yeah, Guys, go much. and get this, it's worth a read. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry, help us keep news independent. Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.